It is Thursday, April 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and the NFL Draft is now behind us. Nearly all of the worthwhile free agents are off the market, so it's time to shore up our 2020 projections, really get things going for the coming season that we all hope will actually be able to take place. On DraftSharks.com now, you can find rookie rankings for your Dynasty rookie drafts, offense as well as the IDPs. We are in the process of updating our overall keeper rankings, and we are also hard at work on the 2020 projections that help power our exclusive MVP board and the mock draft trainer. You can expect all of that to start coming your way soon. Jared, any surprises for you as you go through the team-by-team projections? Um, you know, nothing that jumps to mind immediately. I, I always sort of wait to get the get all the projections loaded to sort of to see where guys, you know, come out in their rankings. So I, I think by... Uh, Mid-May, we should have the projections up and have the MVP board running so everyone can you know, use that for drafts. I'm excited to get into some FFPC drafts with the MVP board. Yeah, I agree. Even when you're going through the the teams, you, you might do a team and think that you like you know a running back relative to everybody else. And then you compile everybody and he's sitting like 13th, whereas his right. ADP is 9th. So that's when it really reveals itself to me. And that, that's kind of the fun part is, is I, I go in thinking that I'm excited about some players. And then I come out in the end realizing that either I need to figure out whether I am excited and maybe look at adjusting something or whether I, I'm just not as excited as I thought I was going to be. Yeah. Odell Beckham was that guy for me. Um, you know, he, I, I, I know he's going to come out lower in my wide receiver rankings than I sort of thought he was going to. Mm-hmm. And I think there's room for both. I think there's room, even no matter how carefully you go through the numbers to at the end say, I, I really think I can't exactly say mathematically where it's going to come from, but I really think that this guy is going to do better than my numbers said. Yes, for sure. On today's show, we're going to talk some rookie rankings, but we're going to focus even more on some of the situations around the league that have been most impacted by the NFL draft. We'll look at some veterans we like either more or less than we did a week ago. We will try to start sorting some crowded backfields and some crowded receiving cores. First, the rookie rankings. And Jared, it's tough to find worthwhile ADP for dynasty rookie drafts because, you know, the leagues just vary so much and there's really not the volume to generate rookie draft ADP right away. So, What I did was I took our rookie rankings, I compared them to the staff consensus on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Of course, you know, Dynasty is their focus, so they do this stuff all the time. Their rankings aggregate rankings from seven of their writers, get to one, you know, average set among them. So I I thought it'd be interesting to look at our set versus that one, see who we're higher or lower on versus those rankings. And the first guy that I came across was DeAndre Swift, who it's not a huge difference. He's number three in the DLF staff consensus. Number six for us, but you know, if you're drafting in round one, that could be the difference between getting Swift and not getting Swift. Yeah, and, and I don't imagine I'm going to end up with Swift on any of my dynasty teams unless he, you know, does drop quite a few spots below that consensus rank on DLF. Um, I, I think I, I think as a staff, we were a bit lower on Swift than consensus pre-draft. Um, I just I wasn't blown away blown away by the tape. I, I think I, I still have cons- concerns about whether he can be like a 300 touch guy in the NFL. Um, and, th- and then this landing spot, obviously just sort of blah to me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that the lions have a, a mediocre offensive line. They were 20th in adjusted line yards last year, according to uh, football outsiders. They lost the uh, center Graham Glasgow and right tackle Rick Wagner 
uh, in the offseason. So, so I don't think it's going to be anything better than an average O-line this season. And then, of course, you have Kerryon Johnson in the mix still there, too. A head coach and Matt Patricia, who, you know, comes from New England, where they love committee backfields. And Patricia has openly talked about, you know, preferring to use multiple backs, e- even, you know, Kerryon Johnson last year, even when he was healthy, he, he wasn't getting the type of volume we sort of thought he deserved. Um, so I just think Swift, at least in the short term, is going to be closer to a committee back than like a clear leader. Yeah, I mean, I think even there's even if you think that his path to opportunity is great, even if you think he's going to easily push aside Kerryon Johnson and control the backfield, we're talking about a bad team. We're talking about uh, a team that has stunk at generating good running back seasons in fantasy for a while. Uh, and we're talking about a running back who was, you know, sub 200 carries in college. So I'm not saying that that necessarily means he can't be a backfield leader type. But, you know, we've at least seen it from J.K. Dobbins and seen it from Jonathan Taylor. So it's a little bit easier to project that forward. So, I mean, I don't hate Swift, but when you put yeah. all that together, I think it's just enough to nudge him behind the other guys. I don't know how much stock to put into this fact, but the Lions did spend a fifth round pick on another running back in Jason Huntley, who's like this undersized mm-hmm. pass catching change of pace guy. So, you know, again, it's a fifth round pick, but it might, you know, just still speak to the fact that Patricia does want to go committee here. Mm-hmm. We were low on Darrington Evans was number 22 on the DLF consensus, number 29 for us. Again, not a huge difference and really uh, the kind of difference that might not matter a whole lot once you get into the draft, but it's more than a half a round. And frankly, I wouldn't mind even being a little bit lower on Darrington Evans. Yeah. So this one's interesting because I think it totally depends on if you think Evans is like strictly a change of pace guy as a pro, or if he has a chance to, you know, even be like half of a committee. I lean towards him being a change of pace. Um, you know, he's only 203 pounds. You, you watch a tape and he just looks like a finesse runner. Like he's better getting outside the tackles than he is busting it up inside. So, you know, th- that's sort of why I think I came in lower on him than the consensus at DLF. But if you do think he can even be like a 200 to 220 touch guy, um, there is a chance he gets that opportunity with Derrick Henry on the franchise tag. You know, we, we don't know if Henry's going to be in Tennessee beyond 2020. Yeah, to me, Darrington Evans is a change of pace. Like, even if Derrick Henry went down, mm-hmm. it would be Tennessee needing to find somebody to share work with Darrington Evans, I think, as opposed to just overloading him. So, I mean, he, he's fine. I, I wouldn't hate him early in round three, but mm-hmm. definitely not a player I'm targeting. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. And you know, that's why, to me, he is like a round three guy. But again, if you do think he can you know, be a 200-touch guy, I think he, he makes sense You know, at 22nd overall. The 10th tight end to join the Bears this offseason, Cole Komet, number 30 on the DLF consensus, number 40 for us. I think he was one spot higher in the DLF tight end rankings than he was in ours, but even more than that, I think this is more us generally being low on the tight end class. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with Komet, neither the player nor this landing spot excites me. Um, I think you can point to the second round draft capital that he got but you know the Bears also took Adam Shaheen in the second round a couple of years ago and he's done absolutely nothing so I'm not gonna you know weigh the draft capital too heavily I, I'm just gonna let someone else take Cole Komet in Dynasty yeah I agree I'm gonna try not to draft any of the tight ends and definitely not chasing hard after any particular member of the class yeah. uh low we were low on Jalen Hurts which I wasn't surprised about number 37 yeah. BLF rankings fourth quarterback for them number 54 for us and right behind Jacob Eason and I don't want to be low on Jalen Hurts but I mean I, you know and, and even where DLF has him like 37th overall that's that's the fourth round of dynasty rookie drafts I wouldn't you know kill anyone for taking Hurts there um I, I just it, there's no clear path to playing time 
for him without a Carson Wentz injury. You know, Carson Wentz signed through 2024. You look at the contract, and I, I think it looks like, you know, before the 2023 season is the first time he's truly cuttable. So, you know, that's that's three seasons from now. You're just going to be sitting on Hurts, really getting nothing back from him. Yeah, I think that if you have Carson Wentz, then you could take Jalen Hurts in round yeah. three even, and he'd be just fine because if Carson Wentz does go down, I think you have an immediate fantasy starter because of Jalen Hurts' rushing. And it, I hate to have Jalen Hurts <laughs> as low as we do, but Philly doesn't want him to start at quarterback. They obviously drafted him to be the backup to Carson Wentz. You know, maybe they have some gadget stuff worked in. I would imagine there's probably some some of that. I th- I think it was somebody from the Eagles that mentioned Lamar Jackson as a rookie with Baltimore in talking about Jalen Hurts. But that that's the thing. They they clearly they just paid Carson Wentz. He's the franchise quarterback. Unless he has some career-ending injury, there's just absolutely no path for Hurts to start during his rookie contract. And I don't care about drafting a quarterback to wait four years so that I can have a fantasy starter. That's that's why we have Jacob Eason just ahead of him. I, Jacob Eason is not somebody I'm targeting either, but yeah. at least in Indy, Philip Rivers is a starter this season and he has no contract beyond this season. So there's at least a path to Jacob Eason having a shot at starting. Yeah, there's just a better chance you get something from Eason within the next couple of years. Um, you know, with Jalen Hurts, you talk about Lamar Jackson's rookie role. That, that's just such an outlier in the NFL. Even like Taysom Hill's role with the Saints, that, that's just not the norm. And, you know, when you have a guy of Wentz's ability, I mean, Lamar Jackson was coming in for, you know, a washed up Joe Flacco two years ago. You know, I, I think the Eagles are going to want to keep Carson Wentz on the field basically every offensive snap this season. And I don't think it generally worked all that well when they were doing the Lamar Jackson packages. I don't. I mean, he's, he can obviously run, but I don't remember it blowing up the the defense right. in those games. Yeah, and, and I mean, Hertz is a good runner. He, he's not on Lamar Jackson's, you know, plane as a as a quarterback or runner. On the high side, we were higher than DLF on Justin Herbert, number twenty seven on their list, seven spots behind Tua, number twenty one for us, right behind Tua. So that was the, the big difference was us not having the space between Justin Herbert and Tua. And, and I, I feel like I was probably the one pushing that. You were, but, but I'm I'm good with it. I mean, I, I think as an NFL prospect, I think Tua deserves to be, you know, at least a tier above Herbert. But as a fantasy prospect, I think they're a lot closer. And that's because of the rushing upside we've talked about with Justin Herbert. Um, and, 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 you know, these... One thing I've tried to change with my dynasty strategy over the last couple of years now is just being a bit higher on these early first round quarterbacks because these guys are pretty much guaranteed to get on the field and you know that and that alone is more than you can say for you know these other guys you're taking in the late second or third round of dynasty record drafts I I just think Herbert you know if you take him in the late second or anywhere in the third he's just a safer bet to give you something even if his ultimate upside isn't as high as you know some of the running back or wide receiver flyers you're taking there yeah, and I think in addition to the rushing upside for Justin Herbert, I, I like his chances better of starting early this season than I do Tua's chances because of the hip, because Justin Herbert goes to a team with Tyrod Taylor lined up to start, who's been okay. Miami has Ryan Fitzpatrick in place, who has a lot more starting experience over various teams and was successful late last season. So to me, if I'm betting which of those two quarterbacks, those two rookie quarterbacks plays earlier this season and just, and you know, thus gives you that immediate value after you've drafted him, I think it's Justin Herbert. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. I, I expect Herbert to be under center, you know, by October, if not week one. We haven't heard anything about Miami's plans for Tua still. Um, you know, I think there's a chance he's under center for week one. I think there's a chance he's just redshirted this year, doesn't play at all. 
We were high on Tyler Johnson, which I like. DLF had him at number 36 overall. We had him at number 25. He's our wide receiver 13. He's their wide receiver 18. I mean, I would have liked to see Tyler Johnson land with a different team that doesn't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yeah. But I, I still like the talent, and you never know how the situation's going to change in a couple of years. Yeah, I like the talent. I think I think above anything else, we're just you know betting on the talent and the fact that we liked this guy pre-draft more than anything else. Um, I, I you know I do think there's a pretty clear path to the number three wide receiver job right away for Tyler Johnson with Justin Watson and Scotty Miller as the competition. Um, and then Chris Godwin is set to become a free agent next off season, and I'm sure the Bucks want him back. But the Bucks are also going to be paying Mike Evans twelve plus million in 2021, 2022, and 2023. So I, I'm not sure. You know, it's going to work salary cap wise, giving another wide receiver a big money deal. I mean, we'll, we'll see, but there is at least some chance that, you know, Johnson has the opportunity to be the number two wide receiver for the Bucks in 2021. And I mean, we talk about Jalen Hurts not having a path to value in his rookie contract. I'm a bit more okay with Tyler Johnson's upside not coming until, you know, potentially outside of his rookie contract because he's not going to be a zero over the next few years, most likely in Tampa Bay, I don't think. Yep, agreed. We were high on Joshua Kelly, number 32 on our list, number 40 on the DLF list, but they actually had him one spot higher among running backs. He is RB13 for them, RB14 for us. So I think the message here, more than a difference on Joshua Kelly, is they were a little higher on the top tight ends, on Jalen Hurts, and on a couple of wide receivers. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree on the, the tight ends, but I, I don't I wouldn't knock anyone for taking some wide receivers ahead of where we have Joshua Kelly. I... I I'm still not excited about Joshua Kelly, the player. I think he's just going to be like a, an average NFL running back at best. But there, I think there is some sneaky opportunity here. I think Kelly's going to come right in and compete with Justin Jackson for that number two running back role behind Austin Eckler. You know, Jackson, a former seventh round pick who has struggled with injuries um, through his first two seasons. He's appeared in only 20 games. So again, I think that's going to be a, a competition this summer. And I think Kelly could definitely win the job. Then even Eckler, like we don't know exactly how the Chargers view him, you know, whether he's, you know, just what level of, of you know, work he's going to be able to handle. And obviously he's still unproven as an NFL lead back over a full season. So, you know, maybe there's some durability stuff there. Um, again, I just think, you know, there's a chance Kelly sees, you know, 10 or so touches per game this season. Yeah, Joshua Kelly is exactly what I want in round three of a rookie draft. He's got some upside and there's the chance that he finds that opportunity immediately this season. I think in round three, I don't need him to do that, but you know, of those things are possible. I'm not investing too much. I can't imagine taking one of these tight ends or Jalen Hurts ahead of Joshua Kelly. Yep, agreed. I mean, I, I think Kelly is, is a much better chance to give you 2020 production than any of these tight ends. We were high on Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was number 44 on the DLF list, number 36 for us. And really, he was kind of your boy coming into the draft here. Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, he's just the type of guy I want to take a shot on if I get to like the fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft. You know, DPJ, a former five-star recruit, had a disappointing career at Michigan, did deal with some crappy quarterback play, which I think explains some of that. But if he goes to the combine, test as a 99th percentile athlete, I won't say the landing spot's good, with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham locked in in Cleveland, but th- there's at least a path to the number three wide receiver job for Peoples Jones this season. So you know maybe maybe we at least get to see him on the field this year and you know see what he can do. Yeah, they did since re-sign uh, Rashard Higgins for mm-hmm. a year, so 
I, I'm starting out projecting people's Jones behind Higgins and targets. You know, is it within the range of possible outcomes that he beats Higgins for a role? Sure. The the bigger thing is in round four. I mean, you, you take a shot on what you take a shot on. You can make whatever case you want. You're really giving up somebody that's probably not going to do a whole lot just to take a chance on somebody that you hope will. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think people's Jones has as much, if not more upside than anyone else that's going to be available in the fourth round of rookie drafts. Mm-hmm. The last guy we'll talk about here is Joe Reed, 51st on BLFs overall, 39th for us. Uh, and Joe Reed is somebody that I was pushing. I like that he went in round five to the Chargers. Now, Anthony Lynn compared him with Josh Cribbs and Brad Smith, who he had previous coaching experience with both of those guys. And both of those guys are return men, primarily, who really never settled in on offense. So Maybe that's what Joe Reed is. Maybe he's just a good return guy and he never really finds an offensive role. But to me, when we get to round four, round five of rookie drafts, I I like that he is a terrific return man. I like that his coach sees him as this potentially elite return man because that at least gives him a path to staying on the roster to giving the team value for several years. And then we'll see if the Chargers can turn him into anything beyond that. You know, maybe he'll just be Devin Hester and oh well, if that ends up being the case. But Steve Smith is like the ultimate version of somebody who started out as a kick returner and then turned into the team's number one receiver. I don't think that that is within the range of possible outcomes for Joe Reed, but I think it's possible to say, all right, this guy's just a kick returner for now, but maybe three years from now, he's also one of their top three wideouts. Yeah, I mean, you just hope the guy sticks around on NFL roster, even as a special teams guy to start, gets an opportunity at some point, and then takes advantage. I mean, he, he is he is intriguing from a size and athleticism standpoint. He's six foot, two hundred twenty four pounds, uh, four four seven forty time, eighty ninth percentile spark score. So he has the size and athleticism. It's interesting too. Um, Keenan Allen is in the final year of his deal with the Chargers. Hunter Henry on the franchise tags. You know, he's on a one year deal, so there, there's a chance some opportunity opens up in this wide receiver and, you know, pass catching core for the Chargers. So you can check out our full rookie rankings on DraftSharks.com. We have write-ups for our top 60 overall. We go even deeper at each of the positions just in case your league goes deeper with its rookie draft. We're going to move on now, though, to some of the draft-affected situations around the league. Let's start with the the most talked about backfield coming out of the draft, and that's Kansas City's. It's Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Landed there at the end of round one, and it's him versus Damian Williams right now. Uh, there's lots of love, and you know, for good reason, for Edward Zelaire in this landing spot. His best ball 10s ADP just over the past three days has climbed to running back 13. He's going around the 2 3 turn. I-, I think that's a fair level for Edward Zelaire to be going in the situation. But you've also got some fantasy folks on Twitter wondering why we should expect him to immediately outperform and take over work from Damian Williams. Where where do you sit on this, Jared? I mean, I think if you look at Damian Williams over the last couple seasons in Kansas City, it, the Chiefs have just been reluctant to feature him. I mean, his his 2018 breakout, you know, came late in that season after Kareem Hunt was suspended and after Spencer Ware got hurt. It was actually Spencer Ware who took over as the lead back right after Hunt was suspended. Then he was sidelined and then Williams broke out and then even look last summer, the Chiefs signed LaShawn McCoy just before week one. Um, now, he didn't work out, so they sort of were, you know, I don't know, maybe forced to go with Damian Williams, especially down the stretch as the lead guy. So I, I just, I don't, I don't think they're as high on Williams as, you know, some people might assume. And then, you know, you contrast that with Clyde Edwards Alaire, who again, you know, was the, the first running back ever selected in the first round by an Andy Reid Chiefs team. 
So with that type of draft capital, and you know, we've all heard Andy Reid comparing Edwards Alaire to Brian Westbrook. It, it sure seems like the Chiefs are expecting or you know hoping Edwards Alaire sort of comes in and, and claims this lead job. Twenty-two years now that Andy Reid has been a head coach between Philly and Kansas City. It's the first time any of his teams have ever spent a first-round pick on a running back. It's only the second time they drafted a running back earlier than round three. The other time was LaShawn McCoy back in 2009. He led the Eagles and Eagles running backs in carries and receptions that year, despite opening that season sharing work with a 30-year-old Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook got hurt that year, but still, LaShawn McCoy stepped into that immediate role. And Reed not only compared them, but he was asked to compare them and said that Edwards Elair is better than Brian Westbrook. Them drafting him in round one only kind of solidifies that that idea I think I think Williams is fine but they clearly love this player the landing spot's awesome I think he's going to easily lead the backfield and Edward Delaire comes in as an already accomplished receiver like that was the biggest mark in his favor going into the draft so he already has that aspect even if they share some of the rushing stuff I mean, I think the ceiling is high. I think two, three turn is where he belongs. And I wouldn't be surprised if Edward Zelaer climbs more toward the middle around too. Yeah. And I've actually done my post-draft Chiefs projections. And, you know, I don't have Damian Williams disappearing. Um, I actually have Edward Zelaer projected for 13.7 touches per game, which does not sound like a big number, but about four of those touches are catches. And then I have him, I think, projected for 10 touchdowns. Um, so he, if I take his projected PPR points and, you know, apply them to last season, he actually would have finished at running back 13, which, you know, is like you said, exactly where he's being picked in these recent best ball drafts. Yeah, and that's right about where he came out in my projections as well. So I think that we'll wind up having him ranked in that similar range. I'm not worried about Damian Williams standing yep. in his way heading into 2020. Yep. Next situation is Baltimore, where they drafted J.K. Dobbins in round two. Mark Ingram was the leading ball carrier among running backs there last year. Um, Dobbins is going about a half a round behind Ingram and best ball 1080p over the past three days, but both guys are going beyond round five. So fancy drafters are a little bit hesitant to buy either player in the backfield right now. I mean, I think that could be a good opportunity to try to take both those guys. I mean, we know this is going to be one of, if not the best running games in the NFL. And I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure how to project it right now. I mean, Mark Ingram does turn 31 this coming December. Um, but, but he was still good last year. You know, he was obviously productive in fantasy. He was efficient. He finished 15th in pro football focuses, rushing grades among 45 running backs with hundred plus carries last year. He was 17th among those 45 in PFFs elusive rating. So I don't think Ingram's dust and he's just going to go away. Um, I, I do think, you know, that the Ravens were hesitant to, to make Ingram a workhorse last year. He actually finished with between 12 and 16 carries in 12 of his 15 games. He only topped 16 carries once all year. Gus Edwards had 133 carries last year. I think 133 carries is a good starting point for Dobbins projection. And I think, you know, he obviously has upside beyond that because I think he's a, a much better running back than Gus Edwards. Yeah, I'm I'm forgetting about Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. Not forgetting, but casting them aside. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that they're going to be factors really. You know, there will be touches for one of them. I wouldn't be surprised if only one of them makes the regular season roster. But I think it's Ingram and Dobbins leading this backfield. I, I expect Dobbins to come out ahead and carries. Certainly having Ingram there caps the ceiling. I don't think we'll see either of the, these guys reach 200 carries, you know, unless one of them gets hurt. 
But the, the situation I always think back to is when the Vikings had Chester Taylor and they drafted Adrian Peterson in the top <laughs> 10. And J.K. Dobbins is not Adrian Peterson, but Mark Ingram is a decent comparison for Chester Taylor in that they're productive veterans who don't need to be pushed aside, but they're about to share the backfield with somebody who's younger and more talented. And I just think Dobbins already having shown it not only as a runner, but also as a receiver is going to be at least Ingram's equal in those two areas. And I think even if we start the season with Ingram getting a little bit more work, then it'll shift toward Dobbins. It sounds like the Ravens were surprised that Dobbins even made it to them. Right. And it was like they had to take him at that point. Dobbins is definitely the upside pick. Like if you're going to tell me one of these guys gets 230 carries this season without an injury to the other, I would definitely say it's Dobbins over Ingram. Uh, Jonathan Taylor versus Marlon Mack is the next one. And when I first projected him, I, I just went back and looked this morning. I had Taylor come out at RB uh, 15. But then I was reading more about what Frank Reich was saying about these guys. He, right after the pick, he texted Marlon Mack and said, we spread the wealth at running back. Mm. Keep you both fresh and dominate. Every great football team needs a great one-two punch in the running game. So that has me worried that we're going to get closer to an even split here. I don't think it's going to be close to an even split. I don't think Max going to go away. And I think I still had him over with over a hundred carries, but you know, I think still think this is going to be a run leaning offense. So I, I easily got Taylor up to like 240 something carries. Um, I, I just, I just think Jonathan Taylor is a much better runner than Marlon Mack. And I think, you know, if we get training camp and preseason, you know, Taylor is going to show that, um, you know, Mack has been fine, but he's also you know, been running behind this great offensive line. He was a former fourth round pick. He's had injury issues. Um, so I, I'm projecting Taylor to, you know, easily lead the way in carries, you know, something like a two to one split in favor of Jonathan Taylor. I, I think the question is, you know, does Naheem Hines continue dominating the pass catching work or can Taylor or even Mac, you know, steal some of that this season? I mean, yeah, I probably overstated it with even, I don't expect their carries yeah. to be even, and I might come out with a similar two to one split between them, but I am a little bit more concerned about Mac stealing carries now than I was right after they made the pick. You know, it's worth noting that the Colts were considering Taylor with their first pick in round two, ultimately picked Michael Pittman, and then they moved up to mm -hmm. get Jonathan Taylor just a few picks later, picked him at, at 41. Chris Ballard called him a unique talent. So I think similar to the Baltimore situation, Jonathan Taylor is going to work his way ahead of Marlon Mack and probably well ahead of Marlon Mack. The, I guess the part that concerns me more than with Dobbins is the receiving stuff because mm -hmm. you know we we thought that Taylor looked fine as a receiver and had upside beyond what maybe he was getting credit for but he also lands in a backfield that does have Naheem Hines Marlon Mack has barely gotten any receiving work over the past couple years so you know maybe we do get 240 Jonathan Taylor carries and maybe we also only get 10 to 12 receptions yeah, I mean, and that's honestly about where I haven't projected now. Um, I, I'm trying to be conservative, at least to start, but Naheem Hines wasn't very efficient in the passing game last year. He caught 44 balls for 320 yards, but he averaged just 5.5 yards per target. That was 24th among 36 backs with 40-plus targets. He was just 20th among those 36 in PFF receiving grade. He also received a pretty poor grade in PFF's pass blocking. So again, I, I don't think Hines should be locked into that role or, or at least not to the you know extent he was last year. Maybe he loses some target share to Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that is the other tough part. I've been surprised over the past couple of years that they didn't use Naheem Hines a bit more as a receiver considering how little they used Marlon Mack there. Because mm -hmm. even the season before, 
a lot of Naheem Hines' work came in the period where Marlon Mack was out early in the season. So, right. you know, maybe he's not as big a passing game factor as it has seemed just by his sheer target volume over the past couple of years. Maybe they do give a little bit more of that to Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's a chance that Taylor's so good that, you know, it, that he, he just makes it tough for the Colts to take him off the field. Yes, I definitely agree that that uh, is is a possibility as well. The Rams' backfield was probably the most surprising to me of these backfields that we're talking about to add somebody as early as they did. But they drafted Cam Akers in the middle of round two ahead of J.K. Dobbins. That's just a year after they moved up in round three for Daryl Henderson. Malcolm, Malcolm Brown is, of course, still around, even though Todd Gurley is not. It's a crowd, but I, I, I'm certainly projecting David, David, Cam Akers. <laughs> I'm certainly projecting Cam Akers to lead this backfield in both carries and targets. Yeah, David and Cam definitely not related. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're looking at a committee here. Daryl Henderson, I don't think the Rams want to give up on him yet. Although, I mean, I think last year really couldn't have gone much worse for him. Um, but yeah, I do expect Akers to lead the way here. I mean, he, you know, he, he has more of the lead back size at 217 pounds, you know, Darrell Henderson, 208 at the combine. So not small, but you just watch him play. And he, to me, he has always looked like, you know, more of a committee change of pace type back. Whereas acres, I think, you know, run, runs bigger can, can be more of the, you know, 15 carry per game type of guy in redraft. I might just be avoiding this situation because again, I do think it's going to be a, a committee backfield it might be frustrating from week to week. And I, this, this Rams offensive line, I think is a question mark. I think the entire offense is a question mark. It just seems like it's heading in the wrong direction. I mean, I think, you know, we all, we all considered this like a top five offense a year ago, but after what we saw last year and some of the offseason moves, I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to that in 2020. I agree with the overall direction of the offense. I think that Sean McVay has cast a lot of doubt on his genius status over the past <laughs> year and a half after he had been anointed previously. I'm not really sure what to make of their feelings about Daryl Henderson at, at this point. Cause I, I, you know, I guess on one hand we hear everybody now talk about how every team needs a one, two at running back. So maybe this is just them not being able to pass on a guy that they thought was so talented at that level and pairing him with Daryl Henderson to lead their backfield. But the other side is maybe they did see enough of Henderson, whether in game duty or practice last year, to realize that they didn't get what they thought they were getting in the draft. And now they've got the guy that's going to lead their backfield, even maybe to the level that Todd Gurley was mm-hmm. before he got hurt. And the other guys are just complimentary pieces. I think that's the way I'm approaching it, as though Cam Akers is the clear leader. And there will yeah. certainly be some for the other guys. But as you said... This is a team that's going to run the ball plenty. I mean, Les Snead said that they're going to keep going with more two tight end sets. That's what they were doing late last year when Sean McVay said that he needed to get things going toward the run a little bit more. Les Snead said defenses started trying to catch up to what they were doing from their 11 personnel, which is the three receivers, one running back. So I think we should expect a lot more running. And, you know, Cam Akers might be the leader. Maybe there's still some room for Daryl Henderson. Yeah, and, and I do think Akers, again, ha- has the size, ha- has the pass-catching ability. He put up pretty nice receiving numbers at Florida State. I think he ha- he has the ability to, you know, play something close to the role Todd Gurley had been playing for the Rams. So, so that that is the upside with him. You know, if you think he's going to get that role, if it starts to look like he's going to get that role, you know, that, then, you know, he works his way into RB2 conversation for 2020. Of course, the most worrisome thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that the offensive line is absolutely deteriorating, and the Rams yeah. didn't do anything to help that. 
Yeah, the Rams finished 19th last year in adjusted line yards. Um, you know, I, I would I, I would bet on them finishing worse this season before I'd bet on them finishing higher than that. Yeah, so that's certainly a worrisome aspect for the success of any running back. We'll see where the ADPs go before I'll, I'll say how much I'm in on Acres or anybody else. Yep. Aaron Jones in Green Bay. You know, we talked about A.J. Dillon. I hate the A.J. Dillon pick. I hate A.J. Dillon as a player for the NFL. But what I like is that he finally gave me a reason besides just natural touchdown regression to push Aaron Jones out of round one. Because Aaron Jones came out a little bit higher in my initial projections, which were before the draft, than I wanted for him to. I think he was like top eight among running backs at first. Now he's about running back 13. Yeah, I, I had already projected Jones to see you know a, a bit fewer touches this season than he did last year. Cause I think, you know, his, his total touch count last year was, was boosted by the three games that Jamal Williams missed all or most of um, Jones had 20, 27 and 31 opportunities in those three games. He averaged 17.4 opportunities in the other 13 games. So, you know, we, we saw last year, the Packers wanted to keep Jamal Williams involved when he was healthy. I think now, you know, we could be looking at a three man, backfield here with A.J. Dillon added to the mix. So, yeah, Jones, I think the volume's coming down. The touchdowns are almost definitely coming down after he scored 19 times last year. So if Jones is going to be a first-round pick in redrafts, and he has been going at the back half of the first round, I'm definitely going to be staying away at that price. Yeah, and the touchdowns is an especially worrisome area for A.J. Dillon because if there's one thing that he is designed for, it's goal line work. And that was where Aaron Jones really pumped up his fantasy stats last year. He led the league in red zone rushing touchdowns with 14 total, according to Pro Football Reference. He tied for the league lead on touchdowns from inside the 10-yard line with 11 of those. And inside the five, only Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott scored more times in that range than Aaron Jones did. Jones handled 72% of Green Bay's carries inside the five, according to PFR. That share ranked eighth in the league. I would have to think that that share is coming down and maybe way down with A.J. Dillon around. Otherwise, why the hell would you pick A.J. <laughs> Dillon? Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, Aaron Jones was he was good near the goal line. So I, I don't necessarily think that role you know deserves to decrease for him. But I would bet on it decreasing at least to some. So I mean, even if it didn't like, you know, the guy's not going to score 19 touchdowns again. Right. And I mean, <laughs> just for the Packers sake. Why would you take the little guy out of goal line packages when he not only succeeded fine on the ground, but also gives you the option of throwing the ball to him, which is not nearly as much of an option with yeah. A.J. Dillon. It, every every time that I think about the pick, I dislike it more. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. All right, we'll move on to James Conner now, who I was kind of hoping would emerge from draft weekend as a sleeper. I thought he was a sleeper going in because, honestly, I never – believed the chatter about the Steelers spending their only pick inside the top 100 on a running back. And lo and behold, they did not. So in addition to not spending that pick, the running back that they did take was Anthony McFarland, who's an exciting athlete, but he's probably a lot less likely than even the other guys around him in round four, round five at running back to take on a lot of early work in the NFL. He did not get a whole lot of work in college, probably going to need a little bit more development before he can be like a, you know, even a hundred to 120 carry guy for the season. Yeah, I'm with you. I think all things considered, it's been a pretty good off season for James Conner. You know, Pittsburgh didn't add anything in free agency. They wait till the fourth round to add a running back. And yeah, McFarland is probably, as far as running backs go on their raw side for a rookie, he's 208 pounds. So he's not a small guy, but he, he, I don't think he projects as a team's workhorse running back. There are a lot of 
bodies in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's backfield now with McFarlane and, and Jalen Samuels and, and Benny Snell joining James Conner. And I think with Conner's injury issues the past couple of years, the Steelers maybe back off his workload a bit. But I, I do still think he projects as, as the pretty clear lead back here. You know, should get nice volume, you know, 15 or so touches per game, I think, in that area. And this Steelers offense in general really should bounce back if they get a healthy season from Big Ben. And I mean, a healthy Connor two years ago was one of the league's top workhorses just in yep. terms of touches and was productive in that role. And he's going into a contract year, I believe, right? He is, yep. So they, it, there's not even a reason for Pittsburgh to save him for right. beyond that. I don't think he's going to get a new contract with the Steelers. So I, I think James Connor heads into the season as a top 15 running back. I think there's upside into the top seven. Yeah, there's definitely the upside. Curious to see where he goes in, in drafts now. I think, you know, to me, like the fourth round feels about right for him. Yeah, I think I think round three even makes plenty of sense for him. Uh, and I think beyond James Conner, maybe the Anthony McFarland pick helps out Jalen Samuels. Uh, Benny Snell passed Jalen Samuels as a runner last year on the depth chart, but Snell only saw four targets. So Samuels led Pittsburgh running backs and targets last year. Granted, James Conner was out for a number of games, so that certainly helped Samuel's use and jacked up his his number of targets. But, I mean, Samuel's is still a worthwhile receiver, and maybe he still gets a decent number of targets out of that backfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Samuel's and especially Snell are below average NFL runners. Um, you know, so, so again, I, I think McFarland could come in right away and be like the, you know, change of pace ball carrier and, you know, let Samuels do the pass catching stuff. But, but again, I think, I think it all sets up pretty well for, for Connor to, you know, remain the, the clear leader here. Yes, I agree. The Buffalo backfield, everybody, I think, wanted to like Devin Singletary heading into this season, but the Zach Moss selection definitely hurts him. I mean, maybe more so than any other guy who entered the draft as the team's lead running back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I wasn't as optimistic about Singletary's volume before the draft. Like, I, I did I did Bill's projections pre-draft, and I sort of forced myself to give, like, TJ Yeldon a pretty big role just because I, I didn't want to project Singletary for, you know, 280, 300 touches. Um, I think it, at 5'7", 203 pounds, he, he, was, just, he was just never going to be a workhorse. And, and that, that's, that, that's fine. I mean, he can get 12, 13, 14 carries a game and stay in, involved in the passing game. You know, he Singletary averaged 3.6 targets per game over the final eight games of last season when he got over his injury and sort of, you know, stepped into that lead role. So I think he can get that type of work. And I, I think that's, that's where he should be volume wise. And I think it's, you know, enough to make him like a low end RB two for, for redraft this season. I limited his touches in projecting them before the draft as well, figuring they were going to add somebody to the backfield, but it would have been a lot better for Singletary if they had signed like Carlos Hyde or Lamar Miller, or drafted somebody else later in the draft. I think Zach Moss is like the worst possible compliment that they could have drafted, you know, unless they were a team that took somebody in round two, because Moss is 20 pounds heavier, so he's the challenge near the goal line, and he had more college receptions, more yards per catch, and more receiving touchdowns than Singletary at that level. So Zach Moss can take away some of the receiving stuff, the Bills already didn't seem to like giving the ball to Devin Singletary near the end zone. He had just three carries inside the 10-yard line all of last year, and all three of them came in Week 9 against Washington. After that point, which was really the point where Singletary took over the backfield, Josh Allen had four carries in that range. Frank Gore had seven carries in that range, despite turning the starting job over to Singletary. And like I said, Singletary had zero 
from inside the 10 the rest of that season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect Zach Moss to, to steal much of Singletary's pass catching work, but I do think he's, you know, the favorite to be the goal line back. And then you have Josh Allen, who's going to continue to steal goal line carry. So it is tough to project Singletary for more than like five, six touchdowns, which which obviously hurts. Miles Sanders comes out of draft weekend looking pretty good. The only addition to that backfield, unless you count Jalen Hurts, which might factor into the run game a little bit. But otherwise, the only running back addition was undrafted free agent Michael Warren. Now, I think I, I like Warren going into the draft. I think it's a good landing spot for him because they could use somebody to do that power back stuff. Elijah Holyfield is there from last year. He was an undrafted free agent with the Panthers who, you know, later joined the Eagles. I think there's room for Michael Warren to grow into a player similar to Jordan Howard and maybe even with more receiving upside. But as an undrafted free agent, the odds are more in favor of Michael Warren not making a huge impact in 2020. Right. I mean, if, if this is all Philly does with the backfield this offseason, then yeah, I think Sanders is set to explode. Now, there, there's there's still Carlos Hyde, Devontae Freeman, Lamar Miller still still out there as free agents. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Philly brings in one of those guys. But, I mean, I, I think even if they do, Sanders is set up to at least play the type of role he did down the stretch last season. If you look at the at Sanders' final seven games, including the playoffs and not including week 17 when he left early with the ankle injury. Um, but he averaged 15.4 carries and 5.1 targets per game. If he gets that type of volume in 2020, and, and that, that's what I'd project at this point, I think you know he's going to finish as a top 10 running back. And he scored well last year in fantasy despite having some bad touchdown luck. He only had two touchdowns in the red zone. According to Pro Football Reference, among the 45 players with nine-plus carries inside the 10-yard line last year, only Miles Sanders, Frank Gore, Alexander Madison, and Benny Snell failed to score at least three touchdowns in that range. Only Snell and Madison scored less than Sanders, and he saw twice as many carries inside the five as either of those guys. So there was just some bad touchdown luck for him. This offseason, I've been looking for reasons to not like Miles Sanders as high as he's going in fantasy drafts. And the Eagles said, sorry, Matt, we're not going to give you a reason to dislike him. So he's a top 10 running back for me at this point. Yeah, I think he's a he's a late first round pick, and I would take Miles Sanders ahead of Aaron Jones right now. Yes, I agree. So let's move out of the backfields now and let's move to some pass catchers, although this first situation is going to include talking about the running backs too. For me, going through every team in projections, the Raiders are one of the most frustrating teams to project in the entire league. And it's because there's absolutely no way to know how they're going to split targets this year. For starters, no team last season sent a smaller share of its targets to wide receivers than the Raiders did. Only 40.7%. They had the Antonio Brown mess. They had Tyrell Williams' foot injury. They had Hunter Renfro go down with the injury. The, the situation at wideout was so bad that, that trading for Zay Jones seemed like a good <laughs> idea. So we all knew that they were going to draft a wide receiver. They go ahead and take one in round one. They take the one who has not worked as a number one wide receiver yet. So I would have had a much easier time projecting Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb to be the target leader at the position for the Raiders. I don't have that easy a time doing so for Henry Ruggs. Yeah, I mean, I I do think Ruggs is the one guy locked into like a significant role here. And I would, if I had to bet on a Raiders wide receiver, you know, leading the, leading the way in targets, I would bet Henry Ruggs. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm not super confident about it. Brian Edwards, who they took in the third round, he played about two-thirds of his snaps on the outside at South Carolina last year, the other third in the slot. So I think Edwards might be com- uh, competing with both Tyrell Williams on the outside and Hunter Renfro in the slot. 
Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But but honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll take Rugs if I can get him in you know the, the 12th or so round of, of a best ball. But beyond that, I'm, I'm not super interested in any of these Raiders pass catchers. Yeah, it's going to need to be later for me. I'm still interested in Tyra Williams because I think, I, I mean, I think he's it's kind of like a taller version of the things that Ruggs does well as a receiver. I'm sure that they'll manufacture more touches for Ruggs, but like Ruggs, Tyrell Williams is fast. He can do the deep stuff. He is good after the catch. So I think he can produce in similar ways to Ruggs, and I'm interested in him in the double-digit rounds. I think Lynn Bowden also challenges things here. Like, is he just going to be the new Jalen Richard? Does he challenge Hunter Renfro's role? Uh, does he just take away the receiving upside that we that we hoped was going to be there for Josh Jacobs? It's just a yeah. complicated offense to figure out. Yeah, and, and Bowden's such a tough guy because you know we, we know he he played wide receiver his first couple of years at Kentucky. Then you know he he played quarterback at the tail end of this past season. So I I'd be a little surprised if he comes in and plays a significant role. I'm I'm still going to project Josh Jacobs for a, a expanded role in the passing game this year. I mean I was surprised he didn't do more of it last year. I think you know if you looked at at him as a prospect coming out of Alabama, you know, it looked like, you know, the passing game was almost where he was more NFL ready than, than as a runner. So I'm going to project Jacob's passing game role to grow. And that that's, I think going to make it tough to, to give much to, to Lynn Bowden. Yeah. I mean, I'll project some more, but definitely not as much more as I was anticipating. And I mean, even Darren Waller, who you would think would be a a pretty sure bet for targets after last season's breakout. I mean, they signed Jason Witten at his position (laughs) despite Foster Moreau looking pretty useful before he got hurt last year. So it's crowded at, at tight end as well. It's just, it's just a mess for projecting for fantasy and it definitely lowers the outlook for all of these Raiders for me when I'm drafting. Yeah. I mean, luckily there's no rule where you have to draft a Raider pass catcher in fantasy. And I, I, I just might sort of be off all these guys in general. I mean, I, I was still interested in Waller, pre-draft even even with the wit and the signing but you know these additions at wide receiver I definitely think we're gonna have to slice his targets quite a bit from from uh, what he saw last year yeah what helps me lean away from Waller is that uh, I like Evan Ingram better in a similar area and I can get Evan Ingram after Darren Waller's left the board in nearly all cases yeah that, that's that that definitely makes sense all right, let's move on from the confusion in Vegas to Indy, where we've got Michael Pittman coming in as their first pick in round two ahead of Jonathan Taylor. And it seems like there's immediate opportunity ahead of Pittman, but I wonder if maybe people will be instead underrating Zach Pascal heading into this season. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm underrating Zach Pascal, but I mean, I think it'd be disappointing if Pittman doesn't beat him out. I mean, you know, the, the Colts spent the second pick of the second round on Michael Pittman. I... I wasn't super high on him as a prospect, but I did think he was one of the more NFL ready wide receivers in this class, you know, spending four seasons at, at USC. He has, he does have the big body. He's a pretty solid route runner for his size. So I, I'd bet on Pittman winning that job. Even then though, I'm not super excited about him as a 2020 fantasy pick. And I still think this is going to be a run leaning offense in Indy. Um, you have T Y Hilton, you have Jack Doyle and don't forget about Paris Campbell either. I mean, the, the Colts spent a second round pick on him last year. I think, you know, he'll, he, he should join, T.Y. and Pittman in three wide receiver sets for the Colts. I wonder if this is where breakout age comes into play. Michael Pittman was a a relatively late breakout at 21 in college. Mm -hmm. His his own big season came as a senior last year. So I wonder if it hurts his chances of being an immediate impact player for the Colts, even if they want him to be that. I wonder if if maybe he's just not ready to do that right away. And Pascal... None of us was excited about Pascal heading into last season, and he might disappear again this year. But 
he was a 19-year-old breakout at Old Dominion. He did put up a 79th percentile speed score. So he's a solid athlete at good size, six foot two, and he tied Jack Doyle for the team target lead last year. I know that a big part of that was injuries at other spots. You know, Devin Funches going down, T.Y. Hilton being hurt for a while, Paris Campbell missed half the season. So again, maybe Pascal disappears back onto the bench, but you know, maybe he also showed them enough that he can hold off Pittman yeah. this year. Yeah, I definitely might be underrating Pasco. Um, but again, I just I, I don't think without injuries to TUI again and you know Doyle and Paris Campbell, you know some combination. I, I just don't think the Pittman Pascal winner is is going to be a real fantasy factor this season. Yeah, I can I agree with that. Uh, on to Jacksonville, where they drafted one of your boys, Lavisca Chenault, and I wonder exactly who he's in direct competition with between D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley more this offseason. Yeah, I wonder that too, and I think I'd consider that more of a plus for Schnault that I do think he's capable of playing on the outside, which would be Conley's spot or in the slot with uh, you know where D.D. Westbrook is right now primarily. You know, but Westbrook and Conley, neither of those guys were very good last year. Um, among 79 wide receivers with 50 plus targets last season, uh, Westbrook finished 69th among 79. Chris Conley 67th among 79. So you know, D.J. Chark I think locked in as the number one wide receiver in Jacksonville right now, but I, I think Chenault is definitely capable of finishing second among these guys in targets this season. I think he is as well. And Doug Marone had talked about him being able to play in various spots. He talked about seeing him line up in the backfield, taking snaps in Wildcat, playing a move tight end position, uh, said that he can play, he's big and fast enough to play outside, but can also play inside. So we'll see, I guess, where his primary role will be. I already wasn't looking to draft either D.D. Westbrook or Chris Conley. D.D. Westbrook's really been lackluster for the past two years now after seeming like an upside guy. I feel like he might be the most in danger of losing playing time to Chenault, but I think really what matters most is that it's Chark and then it looks like Chenault among these options. Yeah, and I mean, and Chark's the only one I'm really interested in in redraft. I mean, I think in best ball, if you get into the, you know, the teens, um, Chanel becomes interesting, but I don't think this Jags passing game is going to support, you know, two high end fantasy wide receivers. Yeah, I agree with that. In Pittsburgh, they added Chase Claypool to already kind of a crowded receiver situation. It's another frustrating wide receiver quarter project because we didn't get a fully healthy Juju Smith Schuster last year yeah. to know what his role is going to look like in the post Antonio Brown world. And then neither guy between Deontay Johnson or James Washington really like put up steady production. Deontay Johnson has some real fans out there, but James Washington is maybe the most different member of the group so far. He dominated a dot last year. Average depth of target was nearly was about six yards ahead of both Juju and Deontay Johnson in that uh, category. I think that's going to be Claypool's role in Pittsburgh is, you know, more of the downfield guy. I, I for now would expect Deontay Johnson to win the other outside spot. It, you know, it sounds like Pittsburgh wants to play Claypool on the outside, um, which you know I, I don't like. I'm not super interested in Claypool and Dynasty or redraft, but it does it does sound like you know it's Claypool on one side. Again, I think Deontay will win the other outside spot. I think the winner here is Juju Smith Schuster, who's gonna, you know, be the primary slot guy again. I think that's where he's best. That's where he's gonna be most efficient. So I think, you know, that plus the fact that he hopefully gets a you know healthy Roethlisberger back this season. I think, you know, Juju's definitely in line for a bounce back season. It looks like Juju's ADP is in late round three, which I think is a fine range for him. Yeah. I think there has ended up being guys that I like better when he comes up on the draft board. 
Um, but I'm okay with him there. Lower risk on Johnson, who's going in the round 9-10 range, and then Washington's going around round 15. Um, can't say that I'm super interested in any of those guys, especially without knowing how healthy Ben Roethlisberger is. Yeah, I'd say those those are fair prices for Juju and Deontay Johnson right now. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, we were taking Juju Smith-Schuster in round one just a year ago. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I think you can basically explain away last year with, you know, the, the quarterback issues. So I think there's still a chance Juju, you know, returns a profit as a third round pick. Yeah, I agree with that. Denzel Mims versus Brashad Perriman looks like uh, a battle to watch this summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brashad Perriman's got some years on him, but he's also got some years as a first round bust. And it's his first year with the Jets, so he doesn't get he doesn't have any experience with Sam Darnold over Denzel Mims in this battle. What do you think about these two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're they're both going to get on the field plenty. Um, you look at last year, the Jets had three wide receivers on the field for eighty five percent of their pass plays. You know, it was a you know base three wide receiver offense. So I think they should both be on the field. You know, we'll we'll see how the target share is split. Perriman has been good over the past couple seasons on when he's been given an opportunity. And I'm, I'm high on Denzel Mims, but I, I still think coming from that Baylor, you know, type offense, he, it might take a while for him to really get going as a pro. So I, if anything, I'd bet on Perriman right now, finishing with better fantasy numbers, but Jamison Crowder is still pretty easily my, my favorite Jets wide receiver in fantasy drafts. Yeah. And they're all going in fine value range. Uh, Perriman had been going late to begin with, even before Mims entered the picture. And there is room for both of these guys in three wide receiver sets. The other competition currently at the position is Quincy Nunway, if he's even healthy. Josh Dotson, if he still plays football. Josh Malone, if he's ever ready to become something. So there's not a whole lot there. So I, I agree. There's room for both guys. I think maybe, probably, probably even more than what I'm giving credit for, the upside in these two players at wide receiver adds upside to Sam Darnold. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's been a good off season for Sam Darnold. I mean, the Jets made some minor upgrades, I think, to the O-line and free agency. They added Brashad Perriman. Then they get Mekhi Becton in the first round of the NFL draft. They get Denzel Mims in the second round. And a lot of people thought Mims was going to be a late first round pick. So Adam Gase, I think, is still a problem for Sam Darnold in, in this Jets mm-hmm. offense. But, you know, again, I, I still believe in Darnold as a player. And, you know, he's going to have a much better supporting cast this year than he did last year. And you're not going to have to invest much in him to take a chance that he does have upside this season. He's going toward the bottom of QB2 territory where you can just wait and take him or somebody else that's near him. Yeah, exactly. I think he's a, he's a nice quarterback to target in best ball drafts right now. The Patriots did not draft a quarterback. Bill Belichick said it was not by design, but generally if you're going to draft a quarterback, you try to design something that gets you said quarterback. So didn't draft a quarterback, didn't draft a receiver. Um, it looks like it's Jared Stidham's time, huh? Yeah, it does. And I mean, if the Patriots and Belichick think this guy is at least worth you know, giving a shot, I, I think it at least makes Stidham somewhat interesting. I mean, he, he went in the fourth round of last year's draft. He, he was viewed as a potential or maybe even likely first round pick before a disappointing 2018 season um, at Auburn. But if you look back to 2017, Stidham completed 67% of his passes, averaged 8.5 yards per attempt as a sophomore in the SEC. So that was a pretty impressive season. He was also pretty solid in the preseason this past year, completed 68% of his passes, averaged 8.1 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, one interception. It's obviously the preseason. He's playing against backups, but he showed a little something. So yeah, I, I don't think Stidham is draftable outside of his, you know, a quarterback three in best ball, but I'm not, you know, ready to totally say, you know, he, he's just a, a placeholder and the Pats are, are, you know, tanking this season. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that New England doesn't know for sure what it has in Jared Stidham yet. And there's now a couple of possible insurance options available on the market. Cam Newton's still out there, and the betting odds on Cam Newton landing in New England swung drastically after the NFL draft. And now, as of today, Andy Dalton's out there as well because the Bengals granted him the release that he requested. So New England could sign either of those guys and have them there to start if Jarrett Stidham does not hit September looking like he's ready to start. And then, you know, they are insurance options if he gets to next season and just he's, he proves that he's not a thing, never turns into that next guy. Yeah, Dalton makes a lot of sense to me in New England just as a you know guy who could come and compete with Stidham, if, if not just back him up. You know, I think Newton is a little tougher just because you, you sort of have to alter your offense. And I think if you sign Newton, you're, you're signing him to come in and be the starter. Yeah, but you drastically enhance your uh, hat game. And your swag, for sure. Exactly. So you got to factor that in. So beyond the quarterbacks, who we're probably not drafting any New England quarterbacks anyway, the pass catchers are a big reason to not draft any quarterback (laughs) in New England because it's a bad group. They drafted no wideouts. They drafted two tight ends. You know, that's a position that usually takes a while to emerge as a fantasy factor. For me, at this point, the only Patriot that I'm really interested in in fantasy drafts is James White. This offseason has been a vote of confidence for Nikhil Harry, who, you know, the Pats did spend a first round pick on just a year ago. And his rookie season was obviously, you know, a bust. But he was also, you know, you got to remember, he was, he was young coming in. He was just 21 years old for his entire rookie season. He had that ankle injury in the first preseason game. So he basically missed, you know, all, all of training camp, all of preseason. He opened on short term IR. He comes back in the second half of the season. He, he at least earned his way onto the field. He wasn't productive, but he did get onto the field. Um, it, it did seem like Harry and Tom Brady could never get on the same page. So, you know, at least, you know, maybe with Stidham, the chemistry can be a bit better. So I, I think Harry, from what I've seen, is going late enough in drafts um, that he he's someone I think is at least worth considering taking, you know, sort of a flyer on. Yeah, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a flyer on Harry, and you might be able to get him at a discount in a dynasty trade yeah. as well. And there's still plenty of upside to him. I don't love the ceiling potential for 2020 given the quarterback situation. I do think that James White is going to be underdrafted all offseason. He ranked 7th and 19th among PPR running backs the past two seasons. He, he saw 123 targets just two years ago, and the skill talent might be even worse in New England now than it was that season because that team at least had uh, Rob Gronkowski. It had 11 games of Josh Gordon. Yeah, um, definitely interested in James White. I mean, I think there's a chance he sees, you know, triple-digit targets again this season. I, I, I don't know what to expect from this offense in general. I mean, I think, I think it would make sense for the Patriots, you know, with what still looks like a, you know, top five, defense in the NFL I think it it might make sense for them to just try to run the ball with Sonny Michelle with Damian Harris who you know I think people have forgotten about that the Pats took him in the third round last year but we'll see uh, again I think the the upside is there for James White to ha- have another very big volume season at running at running back I think the Patriots forgot about Damian Harris there for a little bit <laughs> I hope not Drew Locke had to be smiling as much as anybody coming out of NFL draft week yeah. and he probably got the biggest upgrade in the league and surrounding talent through the draft I'm excited about Drew Locke. I mean, you know, he, I think, you know, he, he's right there with Sam Darnold as a guy who, you know, I think I want to target as like my second quarterback in best ball leagues. Um, yeah, the, the, these weapons. And I just, I like how they all fit together too. You know, Sutton's like the big bodied outside wide receiver. Jerry Judy's like the the route runner, the separator. You have KJ Hamler, who I think is going to play in the slot as the big play guy. You know, Noah Fant can give you big plays at tight end. So it's definitely an interesting group. They added, they added Melvin Gordon to the backfield. I think he's a pass catching upgrade over Philip Lindsay. The other thing with Drew Locke, too, I think he's going to give us sneaky 
rushing production too. Um, he averaged 14.4 rushing yards per game in his five starts last season. It doesn't sound like huge production, but it's a full season pace of 230 rushing yards, which would have been 12th most among quarterbacks. Locke did test as a 76th percentile athlete at the combine last year. He ran a 4.6940. So I think he's a guy who can give us, you know, 250 to 300 rushing yards. And then, you know, I think the passing production might be uneven for, you know, a, a second year quarterback. You know, I think Locke's entire career at Missouri was sort of uneven, but especially in best ball, when you're just looking for ceiling games, I think Locke's rushing ability, plus the weapons he has, you know, should give him a pretty high weekly ceiling this year. Yeah, he is another reason to not worry about reaching to get a quarterback if you see one or two runs happen at the position, in, especially in your best ball draft. It, it's tough for Drew Locke to climb out of low QB ter- QB2 territory for me as far as projections go. But, I mean, in this range, I'll, I'll take a couple of guys. Sam Darnold, Philip Rivers, Joe Burrow, Gardner Minshew, Kirk Cousins, even Daniel Jones down in that area. I think you could take two of those players, maybe add a third quarterback late if you're talking about a 28-round uh, FFPC draft, and you could wind up with somebody who finishes top 15 or 16. Oh, yeah. I mean, we say it every year nowadays, but, I mean, you you, you can wait till you know, around 12, 13 in these, in these best ball leagues and come away with two pretty solid quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is the last one that we will talk about now. And the Packers, of course, did not. I think they they drafted as though they hate Aaron Rodgers, which seems like a fair reaction to his attitude. They spent first day picks or no first two day picks on a power back and a tight end slash H back. They added no receiving help the entire weekend. Obviously, does not help this veteran quarterback who had already dropped to the fringe of fantasy starter territory in drafts. Yeah, and that was all after, you know, trading up in the first round to, you know, select, you know, I think the guy that the Packers expect to be Rodgers' eventual replacement. So tough draft for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Yeah, I I don't think he'll land in the top 12 of our rankings when when they come out in a few weeks here. The pass-catching core now, we we, we sort of have to re-examine it for fantasy. I mean, I think, for one, Devontae Adams would probably be my bet to lead the league in targets this season. Um, and, and then you're going to have Alan Lazard and Devin Funches, I think, sort of battling it out for the number two wide receiver spot. I, I actually give the edge to Lazard right now just because he has some chemistry with Aaron Rodgers, especially in, you know, what you know might be a lost offseason. I think that's going to matter. So Lazard is someone I would you know keep in mind when you get into the later rounds of best ball drafts. Yeah, if anybody enjoyed draft weekend more than Drew Locke, it might have been Jordan Rodgers. Um <laughs> I agree with Alan Lazard over Devin Funches for the reasons you stated. And Devin Funches is just a guy that I would rather bet against than bet on. Lazard has last season under his belt. We know that Rodgers has guys that he prefers. So I think the ceiling for Alan Lazard really jumped this past weekend. It was a great weekend for him. We could see a surprising number of targets. I agree with you on Devontae Adams. I think he's a good bet for 30% of the team's targets, which is Michael Thomas territory. And I think Devontae Adams is a strong first round pick. I'd take him in the middle of round one, even. And the biggest target challenge for Lazard might end up not even being Devin Funchess, but Jay Sternberger is a good weekend for him. We'll see about what Josiah DeGuara's role really is. But I mean, there's nothing immediately blocking Sternberger from becoming a factor in 2020. Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely still excited about Sternberger. I think you know he, he's another guy to consider late in these best ball drafts. 
That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our rookie rankings for Dynasty Drafting on both offense and defense. Of course, we still have 39 free prospect profiles available on the site as well. So you can look back at how we scouted the guys now that they have their landing spots. And we're working hard now to get our 2020 projections ready to post in the coming weeks. That'll unlock all of the content for the 2020 season on DraftSharks.com. So become an insider so you have access to all that stuff now. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 